You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. Hey, Manuel. Yes, Miguel? I've been thinking. You know how humans evolved over time? Our species is called Homo sapiens, but we evolved from a different species, like maybe a Homo erectus. So, does that mean we're still evolving? Whoa. Yeah. Like maybe one day there will be a new species that evolved from us. Maybe they'll be super tall and super strong. Maybe. And be able to sense when something is going to happen. Um, sure. And have super speed and agility. Um. And be able to climb buildings and shoot webs from their wrists. Okay, now you're just describing Spider-Man. Homo Spider-Man, yes! Alright, alright. Let's get some answers for you. Brains on headquarters, here we come! This is Brains On for American Public Media. I'm your host, Molly Bloom. And today, my curious co-hosts are siblings Miguel and Emmanuel from San Diego. Hello. Hi. Hi. Today's episode started with a pair of questions. Hello, my name is Julian from Sydney, Australia. And my question is, are humans still evolving and what are they evolving into? Hello, my name is Emma and I'm from Nevada City, California. My question is, why aren't apes still evolving into humans? Those are fascinating questions, and Miguel and Emmanuel think so, too. They also wrote to us about evolution. Do you remember what your question was that you wrote to us? How did humans evolve from apes? So when you look at an ape, do you see the similarities between apes and humans? Um, yeah, and they have similar facial, facial features, and they uh, use body language as humans do, and they also have opposable thumbs. Is there anything that primates can do that you're jealous of? Yes, climb, yeah. And swing from trees. Honestly, if we could just be able to live among the trees, it would help our society instead of just being a ground-based animal that really is just taking over the planet. We would lose a lot of pollution, yeah. Very interesting. Well, we've had a lot of listeners curious about evolution, and here are just a few more of them. Hello, my name is Dassel from New York City, and my question is, how do species evolve into new species? My name is Jonathan from Leesburg, Virginia, and my question is, how does evolution work? Hi, my name is Parker from Trumbull, Connecticut. Here is my question. How do animals evolve? So let's start with the basics. Evolution, what is it, and how does it work? Well, if you want the real scoop on evolution, why not ask someone who helped discover it by studying animals in the wild? Like me. Wow, is that? Why, yes, it is me. Charles Darwin? Alfred Russell Wallace. What? No! I'm not Charles Darwin. I just thought, dude with gnarly white beard, studied animals, discovered evolution, seems like Charles Darwin. I'm Alfred Russell Wallace, the other dude with a gnarly white beard who studied animals and discovered evolution. Oh, right. Alfred Russell Wallace. You came up with the theory of evolution around the same time as Charles Darwin in the mid-1800s. Yes. Thank you. But you both did it on your own in completely different parts of the world. Darwin worked on the Galapagos Islands, and you were in what's now Indonesia. I remember it like it was 160 years ago. 
it was 160 years ago. I had studied all the wonderful creatures there. Bizarre birds, brilliant butterflies, so many kinds of beetles. Seriously, why are there so many beetles? Anyway, by studying these animals and old fossils, it was clear to me that over generations and generations, animals and plants change. They evolve. They'd slowly develop new traits, and those traits would be passed on, and eventually future generations would be so different that they'd basically be something totally new. But how and why? Then it hit me. I was stuck in the jungle, and I had a terrible fever. As I lay in bed, tossing and turning, thinking all this over, I had a revelation. The driving force was competition. The animals that had traits to help them outcompete, the others would thrive. Those that didn't would perish. I was, how do you say it, totally mind blown. That sounds like the survival of the fittest. Or natural selection. Exactly. The traits that helped animals survive would be passed on to the next generation because animals with those traits survive to pass them down to their kids. Let me give you an example. Imagine that you have a cow-like critter that lives in the jungle. Does this jungle cow still move? Sure, sure. Move. All day, these jungle cows look for food. They either eat the grass on the ground or they reach up and eat leaves on the trees. Now, imagine every jungle cow is a little different. Some have shorter legs, some have more spots, some have longer necks. These are just natural variations you'd find in any group of animals. Just like with people, some are shorter, some have more freckles, some have longer arms. Very good, Molly. Now, Sometimes being different can be an advantage. Can you see how? Well, the jungle cows with longer necks could reach the leaves from tall trees. And the shorter ones would have an easy time eating all the grass because they're already closer to the ground. Yes, yes, that's it precisely. As this generation says, you've nailed it. So, both the longer-necked cows and the short-legged cows do really well. Just eating all the food and being super healthy. They have lots of kids who look like them. So what about jungle cows who don't have long necks or short legs? The ones with medium legs and medium necks? Well, they have more trouble bending down to eat the grass, so the short-legged cows snatch it all up first. They also can't reach as many leaves as the long-necked cows. So they don't eat as much, they don't stay healthy, and they don't have many kids. Over time, they die off. Sad jungle cow. But the other two groups, the long-necked cows and the short-legged cows, they keep doing well. The long-necks start to have babies, and some even have longer necks. They do really well and outcompete the long but not quite as long necks. Same with the short-legged cows. They have some kids with even shorter legs who have an even easier time eating all the grass. They out-compete other short-leggies. These two groups of jungle cows are starting to sound pretty different from each other. 
Do the long-necked cows even know they're related to the short-legged cows? Well, that's how new variations of animals come about. If this goes on for hundreds and thousands, maybe millions of years, eventually both types of jungle cow will have evolved into two different creatures. Wow, you came up with all this when you had a fever? Yeah, it was a bad fever, but good for my imagination. So how come everyone thinks Charles Darwin discovered evolution? Yeah, not you, Alfred Russell Wallace. Well, Darwin did discover it. We both had similar ideas around the same time. In fact, our work was presented at the same conference in 1858. It's just, after that, Darwin wrote a book called On the Origin of Species, while I stayed in the jungle, where I was so happy. So he got all the fame and glory, but I'm not salty about it. You are very gracious. Well, I led a good life. And so what? Maybe my name isn't synonymous with the idea of evolution. Yet, now that I've been on Brains On, I'm pretty sure my time to shine is about to start. I feel, what is it again? Hashtag blessed. Well, thanks for dropping by, Alfred. Yeah, thanks. Later. Bye. So, like Alfred Russell Wallace explained, over time, a certain animal may start out as one thing and then evolve into another thing. Which brings us to this question. My name is Landis from Madison, Wisconsin. My question is, how did monkey-like creatures evolve into humans? We didn't evolve from the apes alive today. Instead, both of us evolved from a common ancestor. That means a long time ago, there was an ancient relative of both humans and great apes. It probably lived in the trees, and over time it evolved into different kinds of animals. Some of those animals went extinct, but others lost most of their fur, started walking upright, and eventually became us. Others became chimpanzees, bonobos, gorillas, and orangutans. So the apes alive today won't evolve into humans, but over a long time they may evolve into something new. When a creature evolved into something new, we say it became a new species. To help us understand more about the species and how they change, we're joined by Ellie McNutt. She's studying how humans evolved to walk on two feet at Dartmouth College. Hi, Ellie. Hi. Thanks so much for being here, Ellie. And we're going to start by posing this question to you that was sent to us from Reed in Sydney, Australia. Did mammoths evolve into elephants? And if so, why do people say mammoths went extinct? So the first kind of way to make this make a little more sense is to think that evolution is not sort of a linear path. It's not just one thing turning into another over and over and over again, kind of up some ladder or towards some goal. Evolution is a big tree branching out to the side, and there are side branches and dead ends. So what we say sometimes is like mammoths and elephants share a common ancestor. So there's a group, there was an organism that then turns into both mammoths and the elephants we know today eventually. The side branch that is mammoths dies out completely. So the, the sort of branch got cut off. It stops. And that's what we mean when we say something has gone extinct, like now that branch has ended. And there may be branches that continue that trace back to a similar root. But they, they are the ones that we would say are still s- sort of evolving. Like everything alive today is under some evolutionary pressure. Mammoths didn't overnight become elephants. Mammoths and elephants are separate things that share an ancestor. They're like cousins to one another. When, when we think of evolution, many times we think 
of monkeys evolving into apes and then evolving into hominids and humans. Is that really how we evolved? The simple answer is no, because it's not this linear monkeys into apes into sort of the the chimps and us. It's that branching pattern. So we have a common ancestor with monkeys and apes and the other great apes, but all of those things are alive today. As you go back into the past, you see our ancestors who have some of the same characteristics as the primates that are alive today, and they have some different ones. So the nothing is stuck in time, right? A chimpanzee isn't sort of a fossil of six million years ago. They have been changing just as much as we have. So it's sort of a more complicated picture. We have kind of, if you trace back these sort of the grandmothers of our species in common, but we as cousins have sort of diverged further and further away from each other. So it's not quite so simple or so kind of direct path. There's no goal. Like becoming human isn't isn't the pinnacle of things. That's not how evolution works. It's just you want to be the best animal you can be in the place where you are such that you stay alive long enough to pass your genes on to your offspring. We're going to hear more from Ellie a little later, but first, it's time for another mystery. It's time for the mystery sound. Here it is. Any guesses? Um, maracas or beans in a jar, I guess. Yeah, like rice in a jar. Ooh, rice or beans. I think we're hungry. Well, we're going to be back with the answer a little later in the show. Do you guys know what a wormhole is? Um, yeah, it a wormhole is like a portal, I guess, um, between one place in space to another, theoretically. Yes, very good. Yeah, it's a place in the universe that connects to different spots. It may be billions of light years away or maybe just a few feet. And like you said, they're just theoretical, which means they haven't been proven to exist yet. But that will not stop our imaginations. So we want to hear from our listeners. What do you think it's like to travel through a wormhole? Emmanuel, why don't you go first? I feel like you'd have nausea. (laughs) Probably, yes. I think, I mean, if they do exist... You might not get through alive because, I mean, it, it, it could do something to your body. And when you come out the other side, if you do at all, you, you might not be the same person. You might be someone completely different, maybe with the same personality, but with different physical features. Whoa. Well, we are doing an episode soon about wormholes, and we want to hear what you think it's like to go through one. So you can record your answer and send it to us at brainson.org contact. While you're there, you can also send us your ideas, mystery sounds, drawings, and questions. That's what Elena did. What type of blood does insects have? Do they have the same as me? We'll have an answer to that question during our moment of um at the end of the show. And we'll also read the latest group of listeners to be added to the Brain's Honor Roll. Keep listening! You're listening to Brain's On from American Public Media. I'm Miguel. I'm Emmanuel. And I'm Molly. Today, we're talking evolution. The first big idea about evolution came from Darwin and Wallace, natural selection. They realized that over time, animals change, but they didn't know what caused those changes. Today, we know that these small changes happen because of something called DNA. 
or deoxyribonucleic acid if you're fancy. It's something hidden deep in every cell of every living thing. It's sort of like the blueprint or recipe for how to build a life form. All right, let's build some cells here. For humans, our DNA is a combination of instructions we get from our parents. Always check the DNA before we start construction. Some DNA is inherited from the mother and some from the father to make a new combination for the kid. Mm. Looks like we're building a baby human here. All right, let's get to it. That's why we say you've got your father's nose or your mother's eyes. It was their DNA that helped your cells grow into those features. And combining our parents' DNA can lead to new traits. But sometimes DNA randomly mutates. That creates changes too. These changes, called mutations, don't come from any parent. They just happen. And once they happen, they might get passed down to future generations. So those are two ways that DNA can change and over time lead to new traits. When those traits are useful, they spread in a population thanks to natural selection. Like we saw with the jungle cows, moo. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Other times, a trait spreads just by random chance. Like how you can't always tell why a YouTube video goes viral, but suddenly everyone is watching it. Right. Sometimes two versions of a trait are good enough and one just happens to get more common. Or maybe a natural disaster changes the population, like a hurricane comes through and it wipes out a bunch of butterflies in a specific region. And just by chance, most of the dead butterflies all had spotted wings. Then spotted wings won't get passed on, not because of natural selection, but because of just random earth weirdness. When that happens, we call it genetic drift. That's an important part of evolution, too. Traits don't have to be ideal or perfect to get shared. They just have to be good enough. All right, let's go back to that mystery sound. You guys ready to hear it again? Okay, so last time you were thinking beans, rice, maracas. Any new thoughts? It sort of sounded like there was a bit of, like, paper ruffling like that. Mm. Um, like, pulling paper. Because I've done this origami where, like, it pops. Like, you make paper pop. Interesting. And it sort of sounds like that. Emmanuel, any guesses that you have? Maybe sandpaper? Ooh. Good guesses. All right. Well, here with the answer is producer Manika Wilhelm. Hi, Miguel. Hi, Emmanuel. You guys were really close. What you just heard were sprinkles. Oh, that uh. make, that actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you guys sprinkle fans? Uh, my brother is. I'm not really much of a sweet Yes, guy, I am. <laughs> sprinkles on everything. Well, I also love sprinkles, rainbow in particular. But Manika, does this have anything to do with evolution, or are we just going to make some sundays? I mean, yeah... I love sprinkles, but I personally prefer the portability of a waffle cone. But today, Sundays seem more appropriate. Less risk of drippage. Oh, right. But yeah, anyway, I'm really here to talk about some of the traces of evolution that we can see in us today. I have this checklist of evolutionary adaptations for us to go through. And that's why there's about to be an ice cream party. The first trait on my list is the ability to eat or drink dairy. So can you guys eat ice cream? I can eat ice cream, and I would like Rocky Road. I can eat ice cream, and I would like cookies and cream. So you both can? Did you say can? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
I also am able to eat ice cream, and I would love chocolate. Please, Minika. Perfect. So three Sundays coming up. Cookies and cream, Rocky Road, chocolate, mint chocolate chip for me, so that makes four. And check, 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 four lactose digesters. So what made humans able to digest dairy? Good question. I asked an expert to weigh in on that. My name is Dorsa Amir. Dorsa is an evolutionary anthropologist. She studies how we evolved and how our minds develop. All mammals have the ability to break down the sugar in milk, which is called lactose. But only baby mammals can do this. They use an enzyme called lactase. Their DNA has instructions that say, make lactase. And lactase karate chops lactose. So a baby drinks breast milk and they can break that down and that becomes a really important energy source for them. But after a few years, so usually up until two or three years, after that, we lose the ability to do so. We can't produce that enzyme anymore. And without lactase, lactose causes digestive distress. Ugh, not fun. But in some populations, what you actually get is something called lactase persistence. So this is the case where those enzymes continue to be produced into adulthood. It's a really weird thing that no other mammal experiences. And it was largely because we started being able to use the milk from other animals into adulthood. And that lactase persistence is a trait that developed in some people thanks to a genetic mutation. Once some people had that trait, it spread. Because being able to drink milk is useful, especially if you're hungry and there are cows around. Interesting. And in evolutionary terms, this trait is basically brand new. It's only like 10,000 years old or maybe less in some areas. Okay. Let's move on to an older trait. Does anyone have a tail? Nope. Nope. Uh, me neither. That's good, since my checklist says humans stopped having tails somewhere around 20 million years ago. But what about tail bones? We all have tail bones at the end of our spines. You're totally right, Miguel. A really, really long time ago, our ancestors used tails to balance in the trees. And eventually, tails became less important, but we've still got a tailbone left over. We call these leftover hints of past traits vestigial. So our tailbones are vestigial. Here's Dorsa again. As um, babies are developing in the first few weeks, as an embryo is developing, we actually still develop a tail. But then as time goes on in the following weeks, we actually get rid of it. So it's not the most efficient system, but that's the way that evolution has kind of figured out how to get rid of the tail. So three vestigial tailbones plus mine. Check, 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 check. Okay, how about chocolate sauce? Should I heat some up for those sundaes? Yes. What's our next adaptation on the checklist? Oh, good. There's the chocolate sauce. Oh, right. And next on the list, the palmaris longus muscle. If you take your hand and bend your palm towards you and push your pinky and your thumb together, do you see anything happening like right where your hand meets your arm at your wrist? Hmm. Yeah, it looks like I do have like a thin kind of like muscle rope thing kind of sticking out. Do you guys have it, Miguel? Emmanuel? Uh, not really, since I have a jacket on, but I'm trying to do it. And, uh... Can you roll up your sleeve? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. Emmanuel, do you see it? Yeah, I see it. Yeah. 
So when I push my thumb really hard against my pinky, as hard as I can push with my fingers, and then I move my hand like it's pointing at my shoulder, this little skinny band, like Molly said, is starting to stick out of my wrist. And that's the tendon that connects to the palmaris longus muscle. But not everyone has it. Do you guys see it now? Uh, Not everyone has it, so it's possible it's not there. I think I have a bit of it. I don't know. At this point, I'm just like... <laughs> So three and a half checks, maybe. Yeah. Okay, so three and a half. So check, 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 and <laughs> Scientists think that this muscle used to help our ancestors around 15 million years ago. They might have used it to grab things or to stabilize their wrists when they were mostly hanging out in trees. But it doesn't do much for us anymore. Okay, so it's a vestigial trait, just like our tailbone. Hey, is there whipped cream for my Sunday? Yes, and... Yes, our tailbones and palmaris longus were once useful, but now we don't need them. Okay, our last one, lest these Sundays get warm. Goosebumps, do you get them? Can you make yourself get them? Check on both. Check on both. What about you, Molly? I also get goosebumps, but I don't know if I can make myself get them. Yeah, I definitely can't make myself get them, but I do get them if I'm cold, which is a lot. (laughs) Okay, so check, 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 check for goosebumpers. But only Miguel and Emmanuel can do goosebumps on command. Goosebumps are left over from when our ancestors had more fur. With a shaggier coat, goosebumps could puff up your fur to make you look bigger, to scare off threats. Or they could also trap more heat to warm you up. So it makes sense that we get them when we're scared or cold? Right. So if these traits don't totally help us anymore, will humans ever get rid of them? I'll let Dorsey answer that. I've got to find the cherries to complete these masterpieces. For something to really disappear entirely, it should be something that prevents you from surviving and reproducing in the best way possible. So there has to be active selection against it. It must be actively doing something harmful. And if it's not doing that, it's really easy for it to just kind of uh, carry on through the generations untouched. So for these things to really fully go away, someone who does have that versus someone who doesn't have that should be much worse at surviving. And it doesn't seem like these really get in the way of our survival in any important way. And so that's probably why they're going to be around for a long time. So the human species is probably sticking with tailbones and goosebumps, at least for now, huh? Yeah, but it's kind of cool that all these leftovers tell us where we've been in an evolutionary sense. Yeah, it is. Thanks for joining us, Manika. Anytime. Here are the cherries and those sprinkles from the beginning. Shall we begin on the Sunday eating portion of this segment? Yes. Yes. Thank you for the Sundays, Manika. Absolutely. See you guys later. Now we know where to look for some hints of our evolutionary past, but what might the future bring? Once again, we asked our pal Ellie McNutt, the evolutionary anthropologist. So humans are still evolving. It's sometimes kind of tempting to think that evolution doesn't apply to us because we just, I don't know, have this idea that it's something that happened in the past or because of all the technology and things we surround ourselves with that it's not still occurring. In the last 10,000 years, if you look around, people with blue eyes wouldn't have existed. Blue eyes are a relatively recent evolution. You can watch changes happen to bacteria, right, because their generation time is incredibly slow. But humans, you know, I don't know what are it's 70, 80 years, right, for your, your sort of average lifespan. So that's an incredibly long time. 
And even though sometimes little changes can have great big effects, it still takes a long time for those things to spread throughout a population. Could humans ever evolve so much that a new species would branch off? Absolutely. It's funny, it's happened a lot throughout our lineage, but because we're the only hominin species still alive today, it kind of seems like a crazy idea that we could ever split into another species. But it would require some pretty special circumstances. Like, So we'd have to have a population of humans that were separated from our kind of major population for a long time. Speciation doesn't happen quickly. Humans, you know, a group of humans moved to Mars and lived there and we never went back and forth. Maybe that might be enough to cause, you know, species to diverge, depending. Um, so it's possible. I, you know, the circumstances would have to be kind of pretty special, but, but it's certainly something that can happen to us. Over time, the traits that species have change. Sometimes they change so much that they become an entirely new species. Natural selection and genetic drift are both responsible for these changes. And you can see clues about how humans have evolved left over in our bodies today. That's it for this episode of Brains On. Brains On is produced by Mark Sanchez, Sandin Totten, and Molly Bloom. Manica Wilhelm is our rock star fellow. Our engineers this week were Veronica Rodriguez, Johnny Vince Evans, Kurt Conan, and Heath Cole. Many thanks to Gabrielle Nunez-Soria, Stuart Bloom, Jeremy Berg, Kelly Harris, and Chris Walker. You can send your ideas, questions, drawings, and mystery sounds to us anytime. Just head to brainson.org contact. And you can send us your wormhole travel ideas there, too. Now, before we go, it's time for a moment of um... Hi, my name's Elena, and I'm from Portland, Oregon. My question is, what type of blood does insects have? Do they have the same as me? I'm Claire Ruche, and I study insect brains. I'm a biologist. I would say that the biggest, very obvious difference between human blood, vertebrate blood, and insect blood is the color. Our blood is red uh, because of the molecule that is going to carry oxygen around. So we have a, a molecule that is called uh, hemoglobin. It's inside the red blood cell, which are named red blood cell because of that. Of uh, This molecule that uh, contains iron. And when it's in contact, the iron, when it's in contact of oxygen, it turns red. In insect, they don't have this molecule, the hemoglobin. They have another kind of molecule that is composed of copper and not iron. And when copper and oxygen are linked together, are in contact one of another, it turns blue. But uh, I work a lot with bees and their blood tend to be mostly transparent. A small insect like bees or flies, what they do is they have kind of a system of pipe or tube inside them that are directly uh, in contact with uh, the outside, with the air. So they don't need to have uh, this internal system to carry oxygen around because they're so small that it's not required. So when you smash an insect and it turns red, usually it's because it was an insect that was biting uh, you or another animal that has red blood. Um, um, um. 
My blood is racing through my veins, and these names are going to race from my lips. It's time for the Brains Honor Roll. These are the dedicated and creative listeners who keep us going by sending us their ideas, questions, mystery sounds, and drawings. Alex and Henry from Melrose, Massachusetts, Aaron from Nashville, Aiden from Larchmont, New York, Eric from Wisconsin, Hazel and Max from Philadelphia, Colton from Boston, Delilah from Lehigh, Utah, Ator and Sula from Covington, Louisiana, Gideon from Millbrook, Alabama, Cooper and Oren from Hesperus, Colorado, Annabelle from Michigan, Lincoln and Josiah from Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, Juliet from Dallas, Pearl from Minneapolis, AJ from Virginia, Mackenzie and Emery from Highlands Ranch, Colorado, Juniper from Minneapolis, Evan from Philadelphia, Holton from Colorado, Adriana from Scotch Plains, New Jersey, Sam and Alexander from Los Angeles, Ameha from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, Andrew from Oklahoma City, Owen and Arlo from Bellingham, Washington, Alexander, Carly, and Phoenix from Alabama, Serafina and Malachi from Moorhead, Minnesota, Erica and Amelia from Woodstock, Maryland, Oren and Ada from Huntington, Vermont, Lexi and Levi from Eaton, Indiana, Anastasia and Natalia from Rochester, Minnesota, Eli from Ruston, Virginia, Leo and Harry from Adelaide, Australia, Yuki from London, England, Mia from Belmont, California, Catherine from London, England, Nico from Burlingame, California, Ruby from Hamilton, Michigan, Kinsey and Max from Austin, Texas, Annabella and Lucy from Sacramento, Avon from Eugene, Oregon, Iris and Tessa from Oakland, Maryland, James from Euclid, British Columbia, Evan from Gainesville, Florida, Liam and Henry from South Lyon, Michigan, Oliver and Felix from Lompoc, California, Gemma from Toronto, Nora from Burke, Virginia, Jaden, Ari, Des and Miri from Pittsburgh, and Zeke and Reagan from Arroyo Grande, California. Thanks for listening!